Hello everyone, welcome today to Tomorrow's World Now. It's good to have you here and we have a fantastic program today. I've actually been looking forward to this one for quite some time. Our topic is going to be marijuana. Uh, we want to discuss medical marijuana, uh, addiction, uh, marijuana's role as a gateway drug. Right now we're in a society that is leaning, I would say rushing, towards legalizing it on almost every level of society. And we have a panel of guests to discuss that today. Uh, and it's hard for me to think of many more people that would be as qualified as they are to discuss this topic. Uh, first right here to my left is Dr. Scott Winale. And Dr. Winale is has a PhD in health education from the University of Alabama. Uh, he's an MSPH in public health. He's done a lot of publication research concerning adolescent health and risk behaviors uh, and has spent 20 years in the university system uh, instructing young people and uh, discussing these kinds of topics with them. Welcome to the program today, Dr. Winnell, you bet. And also we have someone Skyping in from a land far away, uh, north of us here in Charlotte, from Canada in the Toronto area, we have Mr. Stuart Wahovich. Uh, Mr. Stuart Wahovich is has a Master's of Education and his director of curriculum, has been director of curriculum rather, in one of Canada's largest school systems and has worked as a consultant for the Ministers of Education in China and Spain. Uh, welcome, Mr. Wahovich. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you. Now, one of the reasons we have Mr. Wahovich here, and uh, I look forward to putting him on the spot for this particular program, is that he has written and researched about this particular subject uh, extensively. Uh, actually, I have a magazine here. Uh, cover article of Tomorrow's World magazine, the article, Marijuana, What They Aren't Telling You. Uh, the magazine featured a two-article series on this very topic, written and researched by Mr. Wahovich, and he has written actually a brand new booklet on the topic by the same name, and so clearly has some passions about the subject. Mr. Wahovich, I want to ask you, what is it that has stirred you about this particular topic? Why were you moved to write these articles and to write that booklet? Well, over the past uh, few years, there's been uh, considerable discussion here, is certainly in Canada and in a number of uh, states in the United States, about the legalization of marijuana for recreational use. And, um, you know, when a product becomes legal, when a product is seen to be okay for consumption, uh, people assume it is benign. They assume it is safe. And my experience in dealing with thousands of students is that in reality, it is not a benign substance. And uh, in fact, the vast weight of medical evidence uh, is pointing to the fact that there are significant risks to especially early use of uh, marijuana to a developing brain. And hence, I felt there was a need to express an opinion supported by research that um, outline some of the serious concerns and issues that really need to be addressed before we rush headlong into a legalization of a substance uh, that uh, does portend some difficulties for our society in the future. All right, so you, you're calling it a non-benign substance, and I, I, I get it. I understand there's a general concern about whether or not marijuana is actually uh, safe. I think people understand that when it's abused, certainly there can be problems. But at the same time, you're speaking in generalities to a certain extent at this point. I know we've just started, 
People would say that Cheetos are unhealthy and we shouldn't eat four pounds of them a day. Uh, can you give us some specifics? What is it about this drug that so many people are saying is relatively harmless? Uh, some specifics that seem to have you concerned. Well, recently, um, the periodical Psychology Today published a, an article reporting on research by, that was done at Imperial College London and King's College London uh, by medical uh, uh, researchers that strongly linked marijuana usage, especially in younger people, to decreased dopamine levels in the brain. Now, this may not sound serious to the average person, but when you have decreased dopamine levels, there are neurochemical issues that go on in the brain. And dopamine is one of those hormones that is very effective and very important for the development and maintenance of motivation. Now, when we find that dopamine levels drop, and the concern from Imperial College London is that if they drop, it is difficult to to necessarily boost them up to the normal levels once again, then that person may become unmotivated or experience less motivation uh, in employment or even in study in school. And the alar this is alarming because just for example, here in Canada, Canada, Canadian youth are known to have the highest rate of marijuana usage in the world. And the Canadian Center of uh, on Substance Abuse roughly estimates that one quarter of our youthful population are regular users. And this, if this dopamine level is correct, uh, that that is affected by the utilization of, of cannabis, uh, then this has a serious problem in terms of Canada's future economy, accommodating people who may be suffering from amotiva amotivational syndrome, uh, which is uh, the, the medical terminology used uh, to describe the effect of a person which is deficient in dopamine. Now, so you're is saying the, one, highest, the, one highest rates, the highest rates in the world? Uh, more than Amsterdam? Yeah. More than, uh, uh, you know, there are so many other countries, really, in Canada, of all places? Uh, in Canada, uh, the Canadian Centre on Substance Abuse and Addiction has reported that, uh, at least from the ones who admitted it, 22% of youth and 26% of young adults are regular users of marijuana in Canada. Right. In wow. all likelihood, the number is higher, but that's what was reported. And that's and that regular is, usage, right? That's not, that's not that's just experimenting, regular. that's regular usage. That's not just yeah. once in a while. That's startling. That's amazing. Uh, what about Dr. Winnale? Uh, any specifics? What, what's you know, so wrong? There's, there's a whole litany of, of issues. I've actually got a copy of a report here that the National Institute on Drug Abuse, NIDA, put out on marijuana. Last year, they've updated the numbers in just December 2017. Uh, the, this National Institute of, of Drug Abuse is in the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. Mm -hmm. So this is a federal document that really compiles the research, the known research on marijuana. Um, one of the things that jumps out at me actually is cognitive impairment. And we're not talking about cognitive impairment while someone is high. I think right. nobody would dispute that, right. um, even users. But it's the cognitive impairment that occurs in the long term because of the use. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, there was a study that came out of New Zealand that showed that people who began using pot, smoking pot, when they were adolescents, 
actually had a cognitive decrease in their IQ of up to eight points. What's interesting wow. is that if they quit smoking 10 years later, right. they didn't gain that back. Marrow, so a permanent loss. In permanent, other words, not just down while they're using, but actually lost forever. Exactly. Wow. The, the THC in marijuana, the active drug ingredient, actually does a number of things in the brain. It, it actually will shrink certain areas of the brain mm -hmm. that the body needs to function cognitively, uh, with its motor skills, etc. Actually decreasing the number of neurons in those areas of the brain. Hmm. I, you know, I, I know y'all are just giving me not the entire list of, of negatives that have been seen. But from what you're talking about, and in particular what you were saying, Mr. Rohavich, it sounds like you're talking potentially transforming the culture of a whole country. I mean, really changing, radically altering its, uh, an entire generation. Is that, is that what you were indicating was on your mind, Mr. Wahavich? Oh, we have a frozen screen for Mr. Wahavich. I'm sure that he is uh, uh, more active than we're currently seeing him right now. But from what you're saying, Dr. Scott. Yeah, you know, is it's becoming more and more used. Um, I read a statistic earlier today, actually, that uh, roughly 50% of the U.S. population over the age of 18 has tried marijuana, has used it at least once, wow. which is a huge number when you think about it. But as more people begin to use it more frequently, there are going to be side effects that we do see, begin to see on a systemic level. Right. As Mr. Wojcic was talking about with the, um, the lack of motivation right. In, right. in kids. I mean... With young people, teens, adolescents, they have a challenge. Many of them have a challenge with motivation anyway. Do we want to put something on top of them that's going to decrease that motivation even more and put them even more behind the eight ball? I mean, you, right. you've taught in public schools. You've I taught have. high school students. And you understand some of those issues. Yeah, even when uh, they all weren't smoking pot, motivation was still an issue. The last thing we want to do is actually hamper them in that way biologically and transform them. Right. Uh, no, I think it's a great point. While our crew is working on the technical difficulties of getting Mr. Wahavich connected, it again. Uh, let me actually move on to another question. And let me argue on behalf of some of those out there because I've actually, I have read uh, Mr. Wojcic's article in the magazine. And I know that he argues against even medical marijuana. And people will argue that why shouldn't I actually use this if it's helping me? Uh, maybe I've, I'm going through pains, I've got some sort of medical circumstance, and medical marijuana helps me. Uh, why can't I use it then? What's, what's wrong with it? Um, what would you say to someone who's, who's, who's bringing that point to your attention? I think this is a really good point. And I think we have to be really cognizant of uh, why people are using this. In most cases, it's for pain and it's for chronic pain. It's right. not just I stub my toe right. or I cut myself. This is I've got chronic back pain that nothing else works for. And one of the things we have to think about with medical marijuana use is, is it technically medical marijuana that's prescribed by a doctor and it's in a pill form where they've actually taken out the psychoactive ingredient so you can take it and you're not experiencing the psychoactive effects or is it I'm using it for medicinal purposes but I'm smoking a joint to right. get it. And I think those are two different aspects because the smoking the joint is going to put you in a state where you're not cognitively aware. You're high. Whereas the other one is not a whole lot different than taking just about any other medication that a doctor prescribes. There's lots of side effects still. Mm -hmm. most, most drugs you take, whether they're over the counter or are prescribed by a doctor, there are side effects too. Right. But uh, a little bit different if they take the psychoactive component out of, the THC out of right. the medicine. Actually, someone here on <coughs> Facebook has asked a question related to that. 
they mentioned, or they asked the question, what about cannabis oils? It has been used by cancer patients uh, and have cured some kinds of cancers. By the way, I should highlight here, we're not prescribing anything on this program. We're not going to tell you, take this drug, don't. I'm just reading a comment from Facebook. Uh, it says they've cured some kinds of cancers. Again, Facebook comment. Uh, also, people use it for seizures in children and animals. It's used to stop tremors in patients with Parkinson's. Uh, here he's talking about cannabis oils. It sounds related to what you're, what you're talking about. If you could elaborate for, for this fellow on Facebook. Yeah, I may not elaborate as much on the oils themselves. <clears throat> I think what we've got to understand, and, and this is a bit of the conundrum. There's, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence out there uh, that this works for me. But with much of the mer medical marijuana and marijuana in general, we really are lacking in science to back certain things up. Uh, I've got a study here. Uh, there's a, a new book that just came out. It's a, it's a report on the health effects of cannabis and cannabinoids, the current state of evidence and recommendations for research, 2017. And basically what it's pointing out from the research is we don't know a lot about the real effects. We know, for example, that um, cannabis seems to help with chemotherapy-induced nausea. It seems to help with certain chronic pain and with multiple sclerosis-related plasticity. It's, it's when the muscles curl up. Okay. But it seems to. We don't have hard data yet, a lot of hard data. And beyond that, we really don't have much data. So it's, we're, we're extrapolating beyond okay. the data. And when it does work, these are controlled studies with controlled amounts, right. not self-medication. And we don't know how that works. How does it work when you smoke a joint or when you put it in a brownie? Does it have the same effects? Right. Okay. What I hear what you're saying, there are potentially testable, derivable medicines in which they've taken out the THC, or they've taken out those elements that, that cause you to get high, et cetera. If there's, if there's chemicals involved that can be taken advantage of, that, that's completely a different thing. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about medical marijuana, then you're really talking about an industry that doesn't go through, at least hasn't gone through, the same levels of research, mm -hmm. uh, the same levels of, I mean, if you look at in the United States, the FDA, and the kind of trials a drug has to go through before something is approved, et cetera, right. uh, and what you're saying, it sounds as though, is that medical marijuana just hasn't been through that kind of level of research. No, and that's, I mean, my background's in science, and uh, not that the FDA is the be-all and end-all. It's right, not. There's, right. It's a political organization. Right. It has federal funding, which can swing with the politics right, of right. the administration. Right. Yet, it's designed as an organization that is going to hopefully help protect the public. Because for drugs to be released, they typically have to be generally recognized as safe and generally recognized as effective. Mm. And if they're not both safe and effective, at least in some areas that they've been tested in, we don't release the drug. Yet medical marijuana is sort of bypassed that. Right. And it, we've, we've rushed it to the market, if you will, mm. uh, but not with the science behind it. And what's really interesting is many of the policymakers know and understand that, but they still allow it to happen anyway. Mm, okay, now that's... Let me ask that question then, because if everything you're saying, and by the way, I should, I should comment to our audience that we've currently lost the feed from Mr. Wahavich. They're doing their best to, to establish that again, and hopefully they'll be able to, to pull him up. But this question, let's just, if what you're saying is accurate, and I know there's more conversation we can have, and if what Mr. Wahavich just said is accurate, and really it's, it's quite a danger, and there's so many unknowns, then why would governments be pressing for it? Why, why such a... I would dare say a passionate, aggressive push in some cases 
to legalize it, not just medical marijuana, but recreational marijuana as well. I, I'm not asking you to necessarily dive into the hearts and minds of the men and women making these decisions, yet at the same time, aren't our governments there to protect us? So why would this be pressed in this way? Mm, you, I invite you to jump in. I wish our colleague was, <laughs> Mr. Wojcicki was here with us. Right. You know, there's a, a number of reasons. There's definitely big money to be made. Hmm. Um, you're like taxing it, like say taxing cigarettes, et cetera? Absolutely. Hmm. Government taxes, state taxes, territorial taxes, whatever it happens to be. You're talking about billions of dollars right now before um, there's a whole lot of legalization going on. Uh, Mr. Wojcicki was talking about they've looked at making hundreds of billions of dollars once it goes legal in Canada uh, this summer. Wow. So that's money, pretty tempting. Money talks. That's pretty tempting. When you're looking at a government that has, I guess, uh, coffers to fill, uh, you have uh, uh, people who need your help. So you're saying that is a big motivation, you think? It seems to be. Mm. Uh, you, you've got the other uh, idea. Here's Mr. Wahavich. He's back hey, with us. Hey, Mr. Wahavich seems to be back online. I'm not sure if everyone at home is able to see him yet. Uh, hopefully so. Are you with us, yes. Mr. Wahavich? I'm, I'm with you. Hey, he's back. Look at that. Mr. Wojcicki is, is back with us. Fantastic. Uh, let me go ahead and we'll pivot to you then, give you an opportunity to catch up a little bit. We were just talking about how is, uh, why do you think governments are pressing for the legalization of something uh, that just isn't healthy? According to, to you and Dr. Winnale here, there's a lot of concerns, a lot of question marks. Then why are our governments who are clearly, you know, we hope they're there to, to look out for us in our best interest. Why are they pressing so hard then? Well, I think there are three reasons. One, the society, uh, and then many of whom are users of the material, have a sincere belief that it is benign. Uh, they aren't listening to the Canadian Pediatric Association, the American Medical Association, et cetera, et cetera, who are warning them. But they, they have this convinced feeling that it's benign. And that's one area that governments would like to placate because it's, it's popular. Uh, secondly, there is a continued belief that law enforcement agencies could probably better use the resources available to them if they didn't have to police the large amount of marijuana usage uh, that is currently illegal and uh, clogging up the courts. This is a, uh, a belief. I'm not sure it's a valid belief for other reasons we may talk about later, but that's a second belief. And the third one, of course, that they don't want to talk about is the massive amount of profits government can take, governments can take in uh, from a sale of marijuana, which is huge. It's in the billions of dollars. You just take a look at Colorado, you take a look at Washington State, you take a look at uh, what's planned for Canada, uh, which is in the multiple billions of dollars on a monthly basis and being projected as revenue both to the provincial coffers as well as the federal government. So right. it seems to be those are the major reasons. They must be because the collective voice of the medical side of the coin both from the Canadian Medical Association, the American Medical Association, the Pediatric Associations, and the medical research uh, capacity, both in Britain, Canada, and the United States, are all giving the same message. Even Health Canada has posted, uh, our government, <laughs> government health department has posted a four-page warning about the health effects of cannabis on its website, and yet that is not being considered by government in the, in the course of the action. So obviously profit, the feeling it's benign, and this uh, reason that law enforcement could better use resources elsewhere seem to be three motivating factors. You know, based on what you just said, I think there's two things we can try to capitalize here on, on the program. 
and I appreciate one thing you've said, just so you know, is that you, you're at least giving some people some credit that they're not out to do evil. They're not out just to think, ah, I can't wait to corrupt, you know, the minds and souls and hearts right. of all of our youth. And let me put myself in some of that, some of those places and ask you a question. You talk about some of the negatives of marijuana and very often it's associated with as essentially beer in terms of its negative effects. Beer certainly is dangerous. Uh, beer can be a, a gateway to greater alcohols. It can be abused and uh, people get, become terribly intoxicated. Uh, why, why aren't we banning beer? You're arguing that, that this substance should not be legalized. Why don't I just extend your arguments and let's take beer out of circulation as well. A lot of people will say that marijuana is no more harmful. Uh, uh, we'll start with you, Dr. Winnell, actually. How would you respond to that comment? Well, Mr. Wojciech, I'm wondering if we're talking about American or Canadian beer. <laughs> no, I, 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 in all seriousness, it's, it's really, it's a good question, but it's not necessarily a fair question. Hmm. When we talk about alcohol use, uh, alcohol is used by most users, the overwhelming number of users who use it. They'll sit down, they'll have a beer or two, they will have a glass of wine with a meal. There are no deleterious effects to the mind or the body from that kind of condition. Uh, you, can, you can ingest beer, wine, even a mixed drink and not be intoxicated. Yet marijuana is a little bit different than that mm -hmm. because when you're going to smoke marijuana, you don't not get intoxicated. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a byproduct of the process. You, you, you don't have the option of just having, um, most people aren't gonna take one drag on a joint and say I'm done but even then you've got an, an intoxication process starting so it's really not a fair comparison Mr. Wojcic additional thoughts well yes uh, the other the other key factor in that is that often the pro marijuana lobby will compare very moderate marijuana use with heavy alcohol use now we all know that heavy alcohol use is is dangerous it's harmful and I, that's been known medical science has warned against that for decades. But the other problem is marijuana is a fat salt. The, the active ingredient, the THC, that creates the high is actually a fat soluble item. It's stored within the body in the fat tissue. Uh, alcohol is water soluble. Moderate amounts of alcohol are oxidized from the body very quickly through the liver. Uh, and uh, the other feature is that alcohol in moderate amounts does not have the other effects that marijuana is known to have medically. It doesn't have the potential to create a paranoia or psychosis, which is well documented. It doesn't have the potential to reduce overall cognitive functioning in small Alcohol won't do that in small amounts. Regular use of small amounts of marijuana is known to have that potential effect in about 14% of cases. Uh, there are a lot of other reasons uh, reduced, as Dr. Renale has mentioned, reduced cognitive capacity over time. These aren't necessarily associated with alcohol use. Moderate amounts of alcohol use is a very different medical uh, and, and uh, anatomical process than moderate amounts even of marijuana use. There are particular consequences to that adolescent group, 15 and over between 15 and 25, uh, which the brain is still developing. Alcohol, moderate amounts, does not create a thinning of the cerebral cortex, which we know 
marijuana use can do. And that's a big difference. So I think we need to listen to what the medical profession is saying and take heed of that because we are talking about something that can create permanent harm. So let me, let me summarize what I think both of you just said. It, the effects are different. Uh, the effects can be long-lasting. And it's just essentially a, a false analogy. It's not the analogy between marijuana and beer is just, it's, it's not a good one. It's not accurate. It, it sort of is an apples to oranges comparison. Um, yeah, they're, they're different substances. Okay, well let me put on my, let's say my, my, pro, my advocate hat uh, again and come back at you. All right, well that's fine. But you mentioned yourself, uh, Mr. Wahavich, that there's the, uh, poss people claim the possibility we can reduce crime. I mean, think about when you declare a, a, a substance like marijuana illegal, aren't you supporting, in a sense, the criminal industry? I mean, aren't there people making their fortunes on uh, trafficking in this and producing this? And if we take it out of that, we can regulate it better, we could possibly make it safer, and think of all the funding that you're taking away from uh, the criminal underworld, if you will, and all of this. Isn't that a solid argument in this case for legalizing marijuana? What, what do you gentlemen think? Mr. Wahavich, what do you think? Well, there's a, uh, a doctor in New York uh, named Dr. Robert DuPont, who is the first director of the National Institute of Drug Abuse in the United States. And he made an observation in the New York Times in April uh, 2016, where he clearly stated that people who consume marijuana will consume more, not less, other illegal drugs. In other words, he made the case, and has been made in other research, that marijuana is a gateway drug. This is something that, in my work in education, um, I, I saw many times, that kids who were having a problem with uh, drug issues other than marijuana all started on marijuana. So when you legalize that substance, you're going to increase the amount of marijuana use, and that's going to create a natural increase in the desire to go to other drugs. It's not arguable. We know that is mathematically a reality. Organized crime will benefit from that. They will grow from that. The other issue we know in Canada is that there is a strong suspicion that money from organized crime is actually going into the legal marijuana grow-ups for that very reason. A, there's profit to be made, B, it will boost sales of harder stuff, which is still illegal. So the argument that it will reduce crime or keep kids away from the criminal element is also a straw man. It is not a valid argument. And uh, it is widely used by the pro-marijuana lobby. But unfortunately, they can't argue with the kinds of things that Dr. DuPont has said uh, in the New York Times. Uh, he's got research to back it up and the numbers to back it up. And they're on his website, the National Institute of Drug Abuse, as well. Your thoughts, Dr. Winnell? Yeah. First, just a really practical point. If you have more people who are getting, becoming intoxicated through uh, use of marijuana, um, when you're intoxicated, are you more or less likely to commit crime? I, I think that piece can speak for itself. <clears throat> the other piece, though, um, coming back to something Mr. Havich said about it being sort of a gateway drug, there's a new study that just came out in January, um, a, a massive data set, over 40,000 people, and they followed them at a couple of times. Okay. <clears throat> and what they have come to realize is that those who use marijuana are much more likely to use 
opioids. And so it can begin to open a door for the use of some of these other substances. Well, maybe you don't uh, arrest them for marijuana use anymore and for trafficking in marijuana, but if you're going to open up a, a, another area for people to go into, like opioids, and we know that's a huge issue already, mm -hmm. do we really want to go down that road? I guess the good thing is that if you're drawing more taxes off the marijuana sales, you've got more money to fund law enforcement to put out the fires. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that's the way the reasoning is supposed to work, but I, I, I think that's, uh, thank you, that's a great way to put that across. Uh, okay, so clear then, you're both against, uh, against the idea that it would reduce crime, that uh, it's going to increase crime. Well, maybe not wise. Maybe not wise, all right. Well, let me, let me come at it from a different angle, if you will. We live in a world of large corporations, uh, and large corporations... Uh, sometimes work with the government sort of hand in hand, you know, trying to, to, to make their profits that much stronger. There's a claim out there that all this is a matter of big pharma. Uh, big pharma controls the medicine industry and they don't want some of these things legalized, et cetera, because it's going to cut into their profits. And they don't want that. They want to lock down this drug and that drug and force people coming to them. And so consequently, they're simply manipulating and sort of a, creating an imaginary problem when there isn't one. It's all a matter of money, and we should just let, uh, let the marijuana flow. Uh, any thoughts about that? Does that sound credible to, to either of you? I think it's interesting. In the United States, we know that Big Pharma has an incredible lobby. Mm. <clears throat> uh, they have paid lobbyists, and they have been able to change legislation in this country historically. Mm. Uh, if they didn't want it to go to the market, it wouldn't be in the market now hmm. in being legalized in states and being going in that direction. I think that's, that's one side of something we have to think about. They've been able to stop legislation before or change legislation in their favor. Okay. Mr. Wahabich, any comments? Well, yeah, I think one of the things the pharmaceutical industry understands is they also, uh, when they are producing a product, even if they're making big profit from it, they're also liable for side effects. And, uh, you all have seen the ads on television about suing uh, pharmaceutical companies for, uh, for side effects on drugs. Currently, the pharmaceutical industry has two federally licensed um, products of the cannabidols that are derivatives of marijuana. Uh, one is called Marinol, one is called Casamet. They are available for usage uh, in the in pharmaceutical industry and in the doctor's uh, prescription uh, package, um, but they have the THC removed. The THC is the element that makes you high. Now, there is some evidence that medical marijuana can have certain benefits in certain cases. It's not well researched yet, but the pharmaceutical industry has these two products already available, but they don't make you high. The demand is low. So, you know, I don't think you can blame Big Pharma for controlling this. If, if they wanted to control access to these uh, products, they would have already researched it, extracted them, manufactured them, set the price, and be in the process of distribution. Um, this is not that manner. The, the issue is the side effects of marijuana are known to them. They are very significant, and they don't necessarily want the liability knocking on their door. Okay, so from what I hear you saying, you're not disputing that Big Pharma wants money. I mean, what, what corporation doesn't want money? And essentially what you're arguing is if they wanted the money, it's there to be had, but they're, 
they're not seeking that for, for cause, that there's a different rationale involved. Yeah, the risk is almost too great okay. at this point in time. They, they don't have the, the safety net of the research to support it. Okay. Uh, well, let me just say real quickly here to everyone that we are actually out of time. However, the interest in this topic is huge. We have our own questions that we have actually not gotten to all of yet. And many of you, we've been told here on Facebook, are actually asking a lot of questions yourself and have an interest. And so consequently, uh, I would say look forward to a follow-up program on this. We'll try do our best to get to the questions that many of you have asked and some of our own questions. Uh, but we're out of time. Actually, let me uh, uh, thank... Mr. Stuart Wahabich there in cold, cold Canada for uh, joining us for the program today. Thank you very much, sir. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, Dr. Scott Winnale, thank you very much for being on the program and helping us sort through what is uh, a very, very important topic for society today. You're welcome. It's been fun. Oh, good. All right. And thank all of you for joining us. Please do come back next Thursday here at this same time, program at 3 o'clock. You can watch us on Facebook or on YouTube. Thank you very much and have a great day.